0: <laughs> That's kind of silly, isn't it? Okay, did you see it? Okay, it was November 21st, right? And Elon Musk is on the stage, right? And he's got this brand new pickup truck, okay, a Tesla. It's called the Cyber Truck, And I mean, he's just fawning over it, right? It's absolutely epic. And, and you know, he's kind of like he is, you know, PayPal, Tesla, SpaceX, okay? The, the Wall Street Journal describes the truck as a combination between a DeLorean and a Pontiac Aztec which is not necessarily a compliment. So, so Musk is standing there like the proud $24 billion father gushing over this Blade Runner ride, okay? He's extolling its virtues, okay? He's talking about the fact that it's designed to withstand... Um, uh, a nine millimeter being shot at it, okay? That, that, it's, that it is tough enough to withstand He's talking about the fact that you could take a sledgehammer to the door panels and, and it literally just bounces off. Which, if you're in, in, in the body work business, you're not going to like this vehicle. If, if you're an insurance guy, you probably will. He then takes a baseball-sized ball of steel, okay, ball like this, because he wants to throw it and demonstrate how tough the windows are, okay? So he takes the ball, throws it against the window, goes right through it, and shatters it. (laughs) It just cracks me up. One of those things that maybe testing in advance would have been good thinking. Tesla shares drop 6% the next day. If you want, I think you can still reserve your truck. It's not in production yet um, for $100 down payment. Ever been there? Ever been there? That you've done something in a pretty public way that ends up turning out bad or just perhaps embarrassing? A couple weeks ago here at Timberwood Church, Zoe came running up to me. I reached down. I grabbed Zoe. I had Zoe right here. I had something else in this hand, right? And so all of a sudden, Zoe wants to go see Jax, right? Which is natural. Everyone loves Jax. Okay, so I... I, Because I got this thing in my hand, I can't just pick her up and set her down. So I do a squat. It's no big deal. I've done hundreds of squats, maybe even thousands of squats. I squat down and put Zoe on the floor. And the moment that I squatted down, I hear and feel something. (laughs) The thin wool fabric was no match for my well developed glutes. (laughs) I felt and then heard. I felt the seam let go and then heard the wool as it was violently separated. The woven pattern fighting, going down in flames. It would have been good thinking to put the left hand thing down and set. At any rate, our text we're going to take a break from Isaiah, although that's a bit of a misnomer because we're actually going to be in Isaiah and our taking a break in Isaiah. And for the next four weeks during the Advent season, we're going to look at all four Gospels and how they record the birth narrative of Jesus Christ. Now, one is extremely philosophical, one is extremely brief, and two are pretty detailed. We deal with the brief one today. Mark chapter 1, verse 1, page 8 and 36 The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord and make his paths straight. It's the beginning of the gospel. The the beginning, this sense of excitement, right? And specifically, this is a baby that we're talking about. It's a fresh start, the energy, thinking about the passion. Think about the passion that we have for the things that aren't like this, but are brand new. Uh, Passion for a new business, uh, a new commitment. And this takes that idea and puts it in a category that is, quite frankly, beyond description. The beginning of the gospel. Now, we know this word gospel in the Greek is euangelion, and it literally means good news or good message. Phase three, wow, that was a cool number to report. That's good news. But it's not even close to being in this category of good news. In fact, think of the best good news that you could hear, cancer-free. That's good news. Debt-free, that's amazing news. Opioid-free for the addict is perhaps something they never thought they would hear. But the good news here is beyond any temporal description. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. One of the key things that we have in this place is a desire to introduce people to Jesus Christ. And when someone becomes a member at Timberwood Church, in some way, shape, or form, we ask them from very simple questions, questions along the lines of, do you believe in Jesus as your Savior? Do you allow him, Jesus, to be Lord of your life? Do you trust him to forgive your sins? Because it's through the birth of this child, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news that God has created a way for us to be united, reunited with him and his Son and his Spirit. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus the Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One, specifically chosen for a unique task to live a certain way with certain attitudes towards life and death and people and things and God. Jesus the Christ, the Son of God. When you think of big names, it's probably the biggest last name that you could have. The credibility, the integrity, the awesome nature of being the Son of God. Mark is describing something very unique in as brief a way as possible. Verse 2. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, and for some of us, we're like, it's Isaiah, you're killing me. It's like getting underwear for Christmas. I know I need underwear, it's just that I would like something different for Christmas. It's not dissimilar to giving your spouse a kitchen appliance, which is different than giving your spouse a DIY appliance, okay? It's a tricky cultural thing. They both have cords or can have cords. They can also both be battery-operated. But there's the simple notion that don't give someone a gift that reminds them of work. You can give someone a gift that reminds them of a hobby. That's no problem. Now, of course, this can be turned around. And you can turn around any gift faux pas by spending enough money. So for Christmas, it's completely, completely acceptable to create a scenario where you remedy by simply just spending more. So completely redoing the kitchen as a Christmas gift probably won't get you into trouble. But that aside, Mark, John Mark, is referencing Isaiah. And it reminds the leader. It shows the continuity that the collection of this, this collection of books possesses. And quite frankly, it's the perennial cry of God. Prepare. Prepare come back, quote, walking in a crooked line. The the imagery, right, that that motivates this perspective is is of people stumbling and fumbling and bumbling, stumbling over things that don't matter eternally, bumbling with, with mistaken loyalties, fumbling opportunities to follow. This this isn't hard. It's picking something up and carrying it forward. It's this idea in the words of John the Baptizer of getting right, of making a move, of doing something, of repenting, of asking for forgiveness. These are two different words, and they're two different things, but they're intricately locked for them both to be effective. In fact, it might be an interesting question for you to discuss over, over lunch or dinner or with friends. What's more important, forgiveness or repentance? Forgiveness is saying, I'm sorry for something that I've done wrong. And frequently, you'll have trouble in a relationship, okay, if you ask for forgiveness, but you don't couple it with repentance, Forgiveness is asking, please forgive me for the wrong thing that I did. Repentance is not doing the wrong thing again. I would argue you could offer forgiveness and not repent, although that would question the integrity of the forgiveness itself. And likewise, you could repent and never ask for forgiveness. The Bible links the two together. Two sides of a coin. It's this idea of radical change. And so I ask us, and I ask the question of my own heart what part of me needs to die so I can get right with God? It seems daunting, it seems very forward, until you think about it in terms of the stuff you carry that you really don't need. Stuff that's like an ill-fitting garment. Behaviors that that perhaps bring a short-term euphoria but leave you hungover, distant from God. And frequently, at least in my life, it happens incrementally where, where there will be a set of behaviors that God will deal with, that will God will work with. And so things that I wrestled with in my 20s that I got uh, to a good spot at were different than the things that I wrestled in my 30s. And the things that I wrestled with in my 30s are different than the things that I wrestled with in my 40s. And now that I've crossed that magic 50, the things that I wrestle with now. It's almost like I scratch my head and say, okay, God, why did you give me a free pass on the stuff that we're dealing with today back when I was in my 20s? And, and the answer seems to be you can only handle so much. Understanding. That all of us sitting here today, or standing here today, irrespective of how vibrant our relationship with God is, all of us have things in our life that the Father says, that doesn't look good on you. Why are you doing that? And John Mark, recording John the Baptizer's words, who's quoting from Isaiah, invites us to get right with God. The process, making progress over time. Slowly at times. At times, I've held defiantly on to old rags. I've I've held and collected packing peanuts, pistachio shells. What's good as a pistachio shell? Yet I got a collection of them, right? Because this is so important to me. Candy bar wrappers. What in the world? We collect the things that we think make us us when really God says, What are you collecting? It has no more value than empty cellophane that should be recycled. John Mark, that's Mark's full name. There there is so much that I identify with, and it is the John that I'm named after in the Bible. He's an early follower of Jesus, and by early I mean after his birth, but before his death. He had this scene where Mark records how he left a scene on naturel, not wanting to get caught up in what was happening to Jesus. John Mark crossed paths with a character named Paul, and quite frankly, who wouldn't? I mean, if Paul were here today, we'd probably cross paths with him. And yet John Mark experiences restoration, and he lives for the way, the, the way of following Jesus, and finishes his career by completing this compelling tome, a heavyweight that's really on its own, the shortest of the Gospels, but something that tells you everything that you would need to know to get through life and death and life. And I resonate with the character. And I resonate with the challenge. And I look for the opportunities that exist in my life to get rid of the stuff that doesn't matter. What's also key in this set of verses is perspective, right? Verse 6, Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist, ate locusts and wild honey, and he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. And please understand, I think we all have great value. We are all image bearers of God. But John the Baptizer explains he's not the big deal on the scene. And neither are we. We exist not for ourselves. We don't even exist for our family. We exist to be in relationship with Jesus Christ. And he's the big deal. Christ is everything. We conclude with verse 11. Let's pick it up in 9, though. 9, 10, and 11 are, are years away from Christmas, right? In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. Verse 11 is years away from his birth. It's the footing on which the Father and the Son and the Spirit stand, equal, the appearance of the Trinity, the Spirit in flight, active, the Son in the water, being obedient. And the Father, by implication, right? There's no need for the Father to identify himself. The voice, the authority, the instant sense in the ears of those who know. I know who this is. I know this voice. The delight that the Father has in the Son. The place in history where the Son stands. All of life to be altered. The promise of God. The hope. Unnamed, but no question Who is talking? Do a favor. Put your two fingers right here. Or if you'd rather, on your wrist. Feel it. your heart. Keep it there. Last week there was an article in the New York Times. This individual who's a biologist, rather a marine biologist out of Stanford University. His name is Dr. Jeremy Goldbogen. Okay, What they did was they took uh, basically a monitor that would um, uh, suction cup to a marine mammal, okay, and um, record the heart rate. And so they were in Monterey Bay, and, um, and they were able to observe a blue whale surfacing. Okay, the blue whale is the largest, like, mammal, like, in the world, right? And so they put, put a suction cup that has an electrocardiogram monitoring thing on it, and basically it stayed attached to the blue whale for, like, eight hours. And then it released, floated to the top, they went and picked it up. At the depths of its dive, where are you at on your heart rate? I'm probably about 75 beats, maybe a little bit stronger. I'm capable probably of going to about 175 and sustaining there for a little while. At the depths of its dive, the blue whale was two beats a minute. No, a blue whale's heart is five feet by five feet by four feet. A blue whale's heart is like a dunk tank. Boom. 30 seconds. Boom. At its maximum, okay, when it got to the surface, you can take your thong out of your throat, but if you want to leave it there, you can because your heart's really important. See where I'm going, right? But the maximum heart rate, the blue whale, was 37 beats a minute. Which when you think about it, doesn't sound like a big number. If I could have a resting heart rate of 37 beats per minute, I'd be I'd be pretty happy about that. Now just imagine the delta between those two. If the resting lowest heart rate, two beats a minute, maximum thirty Seven, okay, so that's basically 18 times. If you take my resting heart rate, multiply it by 18, I'm not capable of doing that. So, I mean, it's just absolutely amazing. But the beating of the heart in our hearts are everything. Your heart is what matters to God. It's the most important thing. There's nothing that even comes close. And I'm not saying we shouldn't have good times. I got up this morning and I was plowing at 5 a.m. and it was barely, barely enough. My little ranger, just barely enough to open up the driveway. And i'm smiling and i'm having a good time and but it doesn't matter and the things that we want to pursue so many of them just don't matter but your heart matters and your heart matters to god and so hear the perennial cry with which Mark invites and, and, and kicks off our advent season, to, to prepare our hearts. And for some of us, we need we need to right wrongs that have been done in the past. And for some of us, we need to examine our behavior with fresh eyes. What is the stuff that we're doing? That's like a bag of pistachio shells, worth absolutely nothing. The challenge of God, the invitation of God to prepare for the Christmas season. Please pray with me. Father, work in our lives. Send your Spirit to reveal to us the things that don't belong. We know it when we're in the middle of it. We know when we've gotten too angry and we know when we've had too much to drink and we know when our mouth has shot off words that we want to retain, words that we wish we had never even thought of. Allow your spirit to transform our lives. Allow us to seek forgiveness, certainly from you, but to others that we've wronged. Allow us to repent. And allow us, even if it has to happen over time, with many starts and stops, allow us to get to that point where those silly things are no longer weighing down our heart. or those ill-fitting garments have been traded for an identity that is only found in you and your Son and your Spirit. Father, prepare our hearts this Advent season. In Jesus' name, amen.